0: good evening, good afternoon for those of you in Australia, or hashtag, give me a hashtag replay if you're watching on replay. It is great to be here um, to share this this transmission with you. I'm feeling a little somber today, Uh, I watched about 20 seconds of that video, and um, I was really affected by it. I didn't really feel too well after I was watching this video um, of um, George uh, what Was I'm just gonna get his name because I, I want to get his name I, I believe it was George Floyd correct me if I'm wrong if it's George Floyd. Please correct me if I'm wrong I don't I don't want to interrupt it. And I watched a video today of a man, uh, African-American man Perhaps you've watched it as well. I couldn't get through it. Um, it really impacted me. Let me know if you know what the hell I'm talking about. Uh, to think that you know the, the the police and the to serve and protect in America have now gotten to the point. now it's gotten to the point where if you're a person of color, Walking around the streets and triggering, you know, sometimes with what they would consider white fragility. Um, and I'm not saying this in disrespect to white people. I've married a white person. You know, I have many white friends. This is what the racists. <laughs> I can't, I'm not racist. I have many white friends. Um, trying to play, make a joke and, and be light, uh, be kind of like lighthearted in this really difficult conversation um and I was very deeply affected by it I was very deeply like I felt like tears wanting to come through there was rage there was this sense of injustice and unfairness and then I had to think you know how much anger that I felt towards the uh, police officer that had his knee on George's neck and I really wanted to like, I just felt this horrific feeling inside of wanting retribution, wanting revenge. And, um, you know, let justice do its thing, and there's probably going to be some sort of arrest and fire. Of course, the, the, the gentleman was fired. But I wanted to... Hey, what's up, Robert? Um let me know, by the way, Robert, you have a question. Put it in the comments section. If you guys have a question, I'd like to just start the, the conversation off sharing with you what the hell happened to me today. I was like, boom, like it was really difficult. It really impacted me. And it brought me back to when I was um, in my teenage years, I had a lot of racism. I grew up in a primary, uh, primarily white neighborhood, uh, Stittsville, Ontario, Canada, just outside of Ottawa and there weren't too many um, people of color uh, that I grew up with. There weren't a lot. I was one of the few. So I know what it's like to be persecuted, to be bullied because of the color of my skin. Uh, It had me feeling quite um, ashamed of who I am. I mean, I grew up in Iran uh, I grew up in Iran till the age of four, and I moved to Canada when I was five four years old and In the eighties, growing up uh, being Iranian, seeing the images of your fellow countrymen and women didn't look so good in the eighties in Iran did it The broadcasting that we would see in North America about Iran didn't show us quite favorably and so I felt a lot of shame about that. I felt a great deal of shame I felt like i didn't uh Uh, fit in. I didn't belong. Uh, There was one incident where I really recall I was like eight years old uh, and I really wanted to, uh, my, my, my good friend Chris was living down the street from me and his next door neighbor had a pool and he would go swimming in the pool a lot and then he asked, hey, can I bring my friend Nima? And the guy said, Oh, is that the brown kid? Forget it. I don't want him in my pool. And I remember Chris telling me that at the age of nine, eight or nine. And it was the first moment I realized that because of the color of my skin, uh, it was different, uh, that that, that was less than, that, that was deemed to be uh that, that was deemed to be inferior, right? And so I know this, the sting of racism, it really sucks. And so that actually shaped a great deal of my upbringing because immediately I was like, ah, crying. And then I said, well, I have to change who I am so that I can be liked. So I changed my name from Nima to Nick. you might not believe this. Many of you, uh, actually, it's interesting. There's several people in this community who knew me back then before I was like 10 years old. Like I have some high school friends and stuff that are in this community, which is interesting. So you knew me before my name was Nima. Back, I switched it back to Nima when I was 16. But from the ages of eight to 16, I changed my name to Nick because I just didn't really feel like I... You know, I, I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't uh, I didn't have any pride of my upbringing. So this low self-esteem, actually part of the reason why you're here listening to me talk about this is because I went through such a, a period of low self-worth and low self-esteem because of the color of my skin. And the work that I've done through that has gotten me to the place where I actually feel a sense of gratitude for my bullies. I feel a sense of gratitude for those people, uh, and, and empathy for them, because I know that to, to, for them to say those things and to feel those way the way that they did about somebody like me, who had nothing against anybody, hadn't hurt them in any way, I hadn't stolen from them, I hadn't uh, hurt them or you know had gotten into any fights. It was just bare. It was because they didn't know me. It was just because of the color of my skin, and. When I look at them now, I have empathy towards them. I don't have rage. Hey, what's up, Heather? I don't have rage. I don't have anger towards them. If it wasn't for those experiences of me feeling unworthy, me feeling like low self-esteem, me wanting to have to change my name from Nima to Nick, then I wouldn't have had those conflicts that led me into the the quest to further understand myself, to further understand human development, to further master the nervous system, and my own sense of rage and anger and shame and guilt and all of these emotions that were swirling around me at the time that caused all sorts of uh, you know really challenging things. Uh, I you know I. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be talking about this stuff. I wouldn't, you know, and it's ironic as soon as I graduated chiropractic school, I, I like as soon as I was in Stittsville, Ontario. So I wanted to move into the city because I didn't want to be in a small town. I hated it. I was rednecks and da, da, da. so what happens when I graduate chiropractic school at the age of 25? I spend a year in Toronto working with a doctor there that I learned a lot of stuff great stuff from. And then I found an opportunity to move to Vancouver in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. 45 minutes outside of Vancouver in a town called Maple Ridge, British Columbia, where there's tons of pickup trucks and rednecks and all that stuff. And they became my patients and they became a community of people that I would cared for and loved. And I didn't have this color thing anymore. In fact, I don't feel or see racism. I don't see it at all, right? and then i see this video i watch this video of this man being murdered because of the color of his skin begging for his life and it brought up so much of that hurt and my heart i just wanted to start off by saying my heart goes out to um everybody in america right now who not only has to deal with all this covid shit and feeling with that isolation and having to adapt their lives and their businesses and their relationships and their children at school and homeschooling and all this shit because of COVID, but tack on to that, being afraid to go outside and say the wrong thing to the wrong person who's having the wrong day just because of the color of his skin and getting fucking murdered over it one after another in the last two weeks. And so i thought about it and initially it was rage against the the police right and then i thought to myself wow what level of dissociation must the police be at right now in that space in their internal space to actually sit there and do that to somebody you know uh, they're not they're not doing so well. When somebody is behaving in this way, um, they're not in the most inspired place. And so again, this echoes what I've been saying, not just the police, like especially the police now, everybody. We are facing a uh, a modern day pandemic, not of a not from a virus, but from the mental health impact that's gonna happen as a result of this isolation, as a result of all the fear that's being placed upon Oh, oh, excuse me, whoa. I just almost tripped over this wire here. As a result of all of the fear that's being placed upon us. That's actually the rationale why I started this Facebook group during the COVID pandemic. I was in quarantine. If If you're just jumping in right now for the very first time, welcome. Um, my name's Dr. Nima Ramani. I've been a chiropractor for the last 20 years, and uh, 19 years, <laughs> and I've noticed that stress-related disorders show up in the physical body. And if we don't address the stress-related disorders from the thought and the feeling perspective, from this perspective, the stories and the traumas and the um, chronic shame and guilt and self-abandonment and resentment that is still trapped here because the body keeps the score, then we're not going to have healing. And so I gave myself permission 10 years ago to start the process of leaving the confines of my four walls of my office and starting to teach and it all began in my office with uh, my my patients in Maple Ridge. And now I have an online global community of self-healers, people who are dedicated to learning the tools in how to transform their lives from the inside out. And it's not easy. It's a process. And I'm going to share with you a couple of nuggets and revelations that I've been getting to help get you there. But I also wanted to Open the door for, um, hey guys, I also wanted to open the door, uh, for any questions that you're having right now. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that racism thing. And, um, my, 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 my thing about that is now that after the work that I did on my own experience with racism, I don't have anger towards people who are racist. Uh, a, a really good, um, Like I know people are like, we got to end racism. And I'm like, you can't like end racism. Like seriously, like there's a human being who has fear over somebody's color of their skin. I can't go tell them not to be afraid of it or to stop being a douche. That's just I don't have control over somebody else's beliefs about cultures. I can't yell at them and scream at them and shame them for it because that's not going to actually work. The thing that I found that works the best is empathy. And what I'd love for you to do, actually, there's a movie on Netflix, it's a documentary. It's not like amazingly produced, but it's fascinating. It's called Accidental Courtesy. And I'm gonna invite you to look at racism from a different perspective, because I'm a person of, I'm considered a person of color, even though uh, the people, like brown people, Sometimes, like Indians, they call me white guy. And I'm like, why, fuck, now I'm not, not invited, now I'm not included in anyone's party. I'm too white for so-and-so and too brown for so-and-so. And why you don't want to play with me. So that's the story I'm telling right now. But um, I want you to watch Accidental Courtesy because it's a story of a black gentleman who's a musician who befriends some KKK people and says, listen, all right, let's just have a conversation. What got you into this? And just by making friends with them and empathizing and allowing them to tell their story of why they hate black people, he was listening with an open heart. And he managed to take 24, 24 at the time, members of the KKK hand in their freaking ridiculous looking um like outfits, it's called accidental courtesy. I highly recommend you watch it. (laughs) Um, So if you have any questions, let me know right now, what are you dealing with in the terms of your relationships? What are you dealing with in terms of you know, sens- sen- sensations in the body, anxiety, what's been the biggest challenge? And I wanted to share with you one analogy that came up after hearing so many of my clients who are climbing that bus towards creating a secure attachment at home and creating secure attachments with work. Because that's the thing I'm working on now. I've created a secure, att- I'm creating because it's a work in progress, a secure attachment with my relationship at home with my wife, Diana. And now what I've been working on is creating a secure attachment with work where I'm not so needy of clients and not so asshole dismissive because <laughs> there's a fine, there's a fine, I'm not dismissive avoidant and I'm not clingy needy because I've gone through the entire spectrum and self observed and done so much um, Self-evaluation, self-assessment, observation, uh, observing my patterns, and the patterns were, you know, somebody would reach out wanting some help, and I would just be like so desperate and clingy, just like you can do in any relationship. I was showing up in in work relationships that way, and uh, then I would then I would get busy, and then the pendulum would swing to the other side where I was so busy that I was like, get away! I'm far too busy to spend my time with you I'm too cool and so my ego would go to the other side and I'm like well crap there's got to be some sort of a a, a secure attachment somewhere in the middle where I know my boundaries I can say no and only say yes to clients that I really want to work with not from a place of neediness oh my god I need you but from a place of wow I'm really inspired to work with you and I'm happy to say that I'm pretty much get gotten there already. We're now at that, at that place. And I realize that this is what we all want. We all want secure attachments at home, which means you feel safe with your partner. You feel safe away from your partner. <laughs> there's a, there's a duality there. You feel safe with them. And because sometimes if you're an avoidant and you have um, these attachment wounds that are incomplete. Being around your partner is more stressful. You 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 gather nourishment from being away from them. That's your avoidant type of uh, tendency. But a secure attachment, the relationship itself is very nourishing. You know, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel uh, stressful going away from them. Like you're not like oh my god, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna cheat on me? They're gonna leave me? Um, you don't feel that anxiety when you get away from them, and when you're with them, you aren't stressed either. You're actually present, and you're able to be authentic, You and you have this thing called intimacy. Intimacy is this magical energy between two people where they feel seen and heard, and you've had it before, hopefully, uh, with friends or with people where you just feel safe to be yourself and take off your mask and express yourself and not... Uh, and they feel the same around you and i think the the holy grail of human existence is to be able to create that and part of that is having the courage to say no no thank you to say no to clients and say no to uh relationships where you have a boundary and you're aware of it and you know what's okay and what's not okay and you're comfortable relatively speaking it's never like super duper easy comfortable to set a boundary unless you're just like you you get off on it you know when I'm being a complete asshole I love to set boundaries and be a dick about it and so if I'm being a dick about it I'm not I'm not really um, you know securely attached. (laughs) That's coming from a place of inauthenticity but um, to be able to set clear boundaries and and, and, be, and know how to regulate yourself when you're being misunderstood. So this is really what a secure attachment is. This is what we're here to learn. You're here to, and the, the way that we access that is through regulating our nervous system. And in order to do that, it takes, uh, hey, Beck, uh, welcome, welcome to the group. I want to welcome anybody who's brand new. Like this community has grown to well over 1,000 people and it seems to be, uh, and I really thank you for um, inviting people that you care about into this conversation because it's probably the most important conversation because we go at the axis of our nervous system and without having an understanding of our nervous system then we will have the tendency to um, project onto other people your other the responsibility of making me feel safe if I don't understand my nervous system I don't understand um, how it works and how I can regulate it, then I'm going to get into a relationship with you, and then I'm going to expect you to not trigger me, not to activate that nervous system, because I don't know what the fuck's going on, and I don't know how to manage myself, so I I can't be around you. And that impacts our relationships, the neurobiology of us. Becomes impacted by our thoughts and our feelings so I'm just fascinated uh, about exploring this and the thing that I got that I really wanted to leave you with is this one thing and I want to discuss this let me know if it makes sense Uh, look forward to all your live videos Carrie I'm glad hey Uh, hey Gail nice to see you I'm really flattered that you guys message me are you when are you going live you know like it's really neat I'm glad to be able to contribute like this Um, here's what I wanted to leave you with with this thought when you start taking on the consciousness work to become trigger proof, you're now called upon to turn the lights on when there was darkness. And when you turn the lights on, you're not gonna like what you f- see initially. You're gonna see, to the d- if you're anything like myself, you're gonna see to the degree that your ego has been driving the bus. In other words, the ego, which is there to protect that wounded child or that adapted adolescent, You've actually been emotionally stunted. Well, I'll say, instead of saying you, I'm going to say me. How about that? It's a far less threatening because it's, it's true. This is my journey as well. I turned on the lights and I'm like, holy crap. My wounded child and my adapted adolescent are pretty much driving the bus of my life. And I'm embarrassed about it. And it sucks. And I'm, I'm trying to change the pattern. So what that means is observing my triggers, observing my reactions, observing when I wake up and I have a tendency to have a feeling and then I abandon myself because of that feeling. I say, oh, why do I feel this way? Oh, here I go again. I'm anxious again this morning. God, I can't stop these thoughts. Here, here are my thoughts. They keep going back to my old story. Oh, I should have done this. It all happened when that happened. Why did I do that? And the, the never-ending kind of consistent thoughts that keep going on that drive us nuts, when they show up, what'll happen is when you turn turn on the lights to see it, you're like seeing it everywhere. And in the beginning, it's extremely painful to realize how very little control you have of your own mind and how your mind has actually been driving the bus. You're not the one in control. The one in actual control has been those unconscious complexes but what i what i discovered is that every part of you is is your are your protective parts <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing broken and there's nothing to fix let me say that again there's nothing wrong with you there's nothing broken and there's nothing to fix when we experience trauma our bodies get stuck in the dysregulation of that chemical cocktail that's created and We create identities and personas to help protect us from that. These are our protective parts. These are not parts of us that we are to shame and blame and beat up. These are our protective parts. So in order for us to heal, we must approach it with more compassion towards ourselves, more patience, because it's like training a new puppy. When you have a new puppy, I got Lucy, she started shitting in the house right away. And we were like, oh, here we go. Don't shit in the house. We got to take you out. And then we had to come up with strategies to train her, to potty train her from not pissing and shitting in the house. Okay? So when she pisses and shits in the house, and if I were to turn around and start slapping her in the head each time she did that, what impact would that have on her? How would she feel? She would have fear. She would be dysregulated, which would cause her to lose control of her bowel and bladder. It doesn't help. Bringing more fear, bringing more shame, bringing more guilt to a training puppy, potty training puppy, doesn't actually help you. Doesn't help her. Okay? So now, what do I do? She makes a mistake and I train her. She makes another mistake, and I train her. She makes another mistake, and I say, oh, here it is. No, let me show you how you're supposed to do it. No, let me show you how it's done. No, I totally understand. Thank you for obeying your, you know, like I'm energetically saying this. Thank you for obeying your impulses, and we do this outside. Now, over time, what happened with Lucy, she started to get it slowly she would have little wins. And then her accidents in the home became less and less. You know what I'm talking about? Less less and less accidents in the home. It's like, oh, way to go. And then, oh, she did it again. Similarly will happen with you when you begin the consciousness work. When you start coming to our programs, you start doing the inner child meditations, you start doing the trigger-proof toolkit of getting into breath, noticing your like all of the things that we teach in self-regulation of your nervous system you then start noticing it and you'll start to have little micro wins and then what's going to happen is two days later you're going to not do you know your meditation or you will skip out on your rituals sleep super late and you're behind the eight ball in the day and then what do you do you piss and shit all over yourself You start going, oh, look at what I did. Oh, I do this all the time. Fuck, I'm never going to get it. I'm doomed to fail. 20 years, I'm going to be with the same. And I go into massive future. And what I'm doing is I'm beating on myself. bad, bad. And you got to understand, you're a puppy being trained. Your nervous system is learning a new language. I say this to my clients all the time. Your nervous system is learning a new language. When you start a new language, you're frustrated. But the frustration only comes from the expectation that you should freaking get it now. You should rewire all of this nervous system now. But no, when you're training a puppy, slowly what you're doing is you're laying down new pathways in the nervous system. You're laying down a new pathway and new neural pathways, which takes repetition, which takes practice, which takes you know, feedback. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, that's just feedback. Here's, let's bring you back. And so the cool thing is Lucy's now 10. Lucy's now 11. She's fully potty trained. She now knows. it's a. She's got her habits, her routines. Her nervous system is now rewired. Now, that doesn't go to say she doesn't have an accident now and again, which she does. She has an accident here and there. She she looks over, I all of a sudden, and it's funny, we know. Diana and I are be looking at each other. We're like, where's Lucy? And then we're like, oh, God, we know. We go to the bathroom, and she's peeing on the mat, and she looks at us with, like, this guilty look. You know what I'm talking about when the dog is, like, all guilty. She'll have the odd accident now and again. It happens. But now it's like when the accident happens, I'm able to know, oh, she had a big, there was a lot of stress last night. Oh, you know what? We were having an argument and she was hiding under the bed. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense why she would have this response. In other words, there's usually a reason behind it afterwards. Similarly will happen to you as you take on this work and and, and re- reset your nervous system and rewire your nervous system, not from its broken parts, but all of those parts that you've abandoned that were traumatized to create that safety, those different parts of you, that eight-year-old part of you that experienced, um, you know, your parents getting divorced, that part of you needs rewiring you're the one that does it for them. This is what reparenting is all about. It's a journey, this nerve, nervous system regulation activity, all it is is a journey to give the upbringing to your younger parts that you never were able to have because of parents that were misattuned through no fault of their own either because they didn't take on the work. Does that make sense? Hopefully it's making sense. Get away from being triggered by someone who's triggered, knowing it's coming. Okay. How to get away from being triggered. Okay. The first thing, good question, the first thing you want to get is to not judge your trigger. You just did it again. How to get away from being triggered by someone. Sometimes the word trigger triggers people. <laughs> it's a nervous system activation, it's a feeling that comes up. You can't control the trigger. You can only. Respond, you can only respond in a way that regulates it. If I, if I, this, the biggest problem that happens, Robert, when you get triggered is the thought that I shouldn't be triggered, is the thought that I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't feel this way, and with good reason too, because ever since we were children, when we would have feelings and emotions because our parents didn't know what to do with them. The the first instinct is to shush them, which is what I do as well. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not a parent yet. We got a a biscuit in the oven coming out in October. Um, But uh, when Lucy starts barking and we're in, you know, there's neighbors around and we're like, shh. I catch myself going, shh. But what that is is my inability. That's my shame that I'm projecting onto her. Think about that. She starts barking. Immediately, I start imagining all of the neighbors telling me off for having the dog that's loud. And what that is, then I turn to her and I go, shut up, Lucy. What I'm doing is I'm dumping my shame trigger onto her instead of looking stopping pausing and seeing what is it that you're calling me for oh she sees me putting on my jacket she has abandonment wounds abandonment traumas for me all her life because i've been traveling all she doesn't know when i put on my jacket i won't be i won't be back for like a week and it's like oh when i can empathize with her i'm not trying to shush her It's a different energy. My heart opens. And when my heart opens to the the person that's triggering me, all of a sudden it calms me down and then it calms them down. But you must first start by not judging your trigger. The trigger becomes the access point for you to go in and see what this is about for you. Not to judge. So when Lucy starts barking and I get triggered, I'm like, shut up, Lucy. Then I can pause and go, wait a second, where's that coming from? Oh my gosh, that's coming from my fear of being called out by the neighbors. That's my shame that I'm dumping onto her. What if I took care of that part of me? You've been listening to the Trigger Proof podcast designed to teach you the most important skill necessary for a dramatically changing world, which is See you at the next perfect time. And realize that, okay, that's not a reflection of me. That's my dog. And if they don't like it, that's well within their right to not be happy about that. But I don't have to make that mean and that I'm not worthy of love, which is what happens when we get triggered. And what I teach what we what I love teaching people is how to expand that space between stimulus and response. Did you notice how I did that? The stimulus happened, which was Lucy getting, barking, and be getting upset and going, shut up, Lucy, pausing, going, where's that coming from? Going, oh, I'm feeling the shame and the guilt of neighbors calling me out. So that's my own, like, feelings of rejection are causing me to create a rejection onto my dog. Now, that's just a... Just an interest, like just a kind of like a small example, but this is what happens in interpersonal neurobiology. I'm fascinated by it because if you dedicate yourself to widening that space between stimulus and response, to instead of reacting, going, wait, I just reacted, but before I beat myself up for yelling at my dog, can I see where it comes from? Oh, it comes from my own shame. Can I reparent or take care of that part of me that feels ashamed that, that the neighbors are not happy with me? I can take care of that part of me. I know where that comes from. I have the tools. I teach this, by the way, in the overview experience. Uh, that's coming up on Sunday. Those of you who are coming, Robert, you're coming to that for sure. Heather, you're going to be there for that. Uh, let's see who else. Gail, are you coming? Uh, Christine, you definitely should be there. Beck, I hope you're there. On Sunday, it's a five hour event where I, we here's what we do together. We take something that's been triggering you. What has it been lately for you? Some of you are going through some major uh, like divorce. There's one lady who's been separated for six months. She reached out to me and she's like, like I can't live with them. We trigger each other all the time. Another one is like, I'm on the brink of divorce. Yeah. that you and everybody else who's going through COVID, (laughs) another person who's going through a challenging time because their teenage daughter is going through some massive drinking problems and they wanna be working on themselves instead of trying to fix another. And so whatever your trigger is, you're gonna bring it to the table and then I'm gonna teach you my formula that I've been developing for years, studying kind of refining, integrating, perfecting and it's a work in progress to help you go from trigger to flow in the least amount of time so that you can show up in the world with an open heart rather than closed because of all of the other traumas that you've been through. And the way that we access that is very interesting. We go through your younger parts, and you're going to see it. I'm going to do a little exercise with you, and you're going to kind of close your eyes, and we're going to bring up feelings that whatever... (laughs) Challenges going on in your life, and we're going to bring you back to the younger parts of you that this challenge is transferred from. And then you are going to give that younger part of you, through the reparenting process that I'm going to teach you, all the resources, all the validation that that younger part of you was lacking from your parents. And now it's time for you to do it. And if you don't, you this is what I've noticed, is this is the missing piece. When I didn't do this, I was stuck in either wounded child or adapted adolescent. Whenever you're playing the victim, you're being the, vic- the wounded child. Whenever you're the, which then over time becomes the adaptive adolescent who rebels, who's the arrogant, know-it-all, rebellious, uh, intensity-seeking, and these two parts what I've observed is human beings are developmentally, emotionally developmentally stuck in those two areas. So when you get triggered, you either regress back to the five-year-old or the 15-year-old. So if you were honest with yourself over the last week, over the last two weeks, over the last few months, which of these parts of you have driven the bus? And if you're actually ready to have your fully integrated functional adult start to drive the bus who doesn't deal with you know intensity is not not trying to be so intense but is more integrated more uh, living with integrity having secure attachments rather than codependent cycles that's how you change the codependent cycles is you start to become that you start to become that adapted, from the adapted adolescent, you start to grow up emotionally and mature into a fully functioning adult. And so the last thing I wanted to leave you with was, uh, hey, what's up, Alex? Do you take care of the part of you in the moment or later after being aware? Good question, Margaret. You just got started, not even like Saturday. You You literally got started Sunday. So you're gonna learn this, especially when we have our first call together. You're gonna be able to do it in the moment, and after? Great question. So that's that's basically how you're going to do it. I did want to leave you with this one thought. Oh, geez, I completely forgot it. Ah, oh, damn, I forgot, forgot what I, but it was really, it was, it was going to blow your mind. I just wanted to, you know, just going to let you know. So are there any other questions that you have? Um, with Lucy. Yes, Robert, that's what I wanted to get you is that the first thing, Robert, is to not be so judgmental of your trigger. You get triggered and what happens is you're like, oh God, I got triggered again. Now you're judging your feelings. Boom, self-abandonment. So over time and practice, and by the way, it's going to take around two years. After about three months, you start getting very consciously incompetent. You're like, unconsciously incompetent at first. Margaret, you're at the point where you just start, you're like, I don't even know what I don't know. After about three months, you get to where Robert is, where you're like, oh shit, now I know what I don't know. And I've seen how many times I self-abandoned. And I'm now, hopefully, Robert, if we do our job right, you're like all in with now saying, Okay, this time I know I've seen my self abandonment, and now I'm going to move up to consciously competent. When the trigger comes up, instead of self abandoning, blaming myself, oh, I'm never going to make it work. This is never, I'm hopeless. I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life, which is the part, the thoughts that come up when you're in the dorsal vagal state. It's like this lawyer just telling you that you're fucking hopeless. But then, Having the skills to bring yourself up to sympathetic nervous system, up to ventral vagal, which is the social engagement. This is the connection, creativity. Once you get up there, you're like, oh, my God, I love everybody. Whereas the day before, you were like, I'm done with this person. That's how, because your thoughts change, not because it doesn't start with thought. It starts with state. Your state will determine your thoughts. Let me say that again. Your thoughts don't determine your state. Your state determines your thoughts, which then creates an impact on your state, which then creates shitty thoughts, which then creates shitty states, and now you're stuck in this loop. And you're judging the shit out of yourself, and you're like, I'm never going to get it. And then you got to realize, stop shitting on yourself. Just become aware. Get back into breath and start climbing. You'll be starting to learn how to climb up that ladder, and then, wow, amazing things will happen when you do. You start becoming the author of your own mood. You, start rely, you stop relying on other people outside of you to make you happy, to make you whatever. One of the biggest things to transform your relationship is to stop projecting your happiness onto your partner. It's not their responsibility. You finally go, I relinquish you from the duty of making me happy. I'm now going to find that within myself and the way the first place to look is my younger parts that I had forgot about. I've abandoned. I haven't talked about. I haven't seen. I haven't even thought about in a while. But because I haven't given them enough space and respect and, and empathy, they're driving the fucking bus, sabotaging everything until I pay attention to them. And if you're ready to finally pay attention to that part of you, and learn how to dance with that little fucker <laughs> then I I really encourage you to join us on uh, on Saturday on Sunday and uh, I will drop the link in the comment section and hope to see you uh, exactly I hope to see you on Sunday yes uh, definitely we'll see Robert and Heather and Alex and all of you nerds that are gonna show up like you do all the time front row center cuz you love learning this stuff uh, but if you're Um, you know, you're on the fence and you're not sure and you really are are curious, you want to learn and you know that 2020 is the year to take your triggers and turn them into flow and take your conflict and turn them into deeper intimacy, send me a DM right now I'll send you a little link and you can join us uh, on Sunday from noon to 5 Pacific time and uh, bring a box of Kleenex, bring an open heart and uh, come scared just jump in. If you've never, I mean, those of you who've done it, uh, and you're curious, Alex, I would love to hear, you know, what your experience was like for those who are kind of on the fence about it. would love to have you. So, um, the best analogy for your consciousness work is to understand that you're training a little puppy and that when the puppy shits in the, in the fucking carpet, you don't just start pounding on the puppy's head. So, Be nice to yourself and be patient and realize it's conditioning uh, that you have to unlearn. It's the chronic self-abandonment that you learned from a young age that happens immediately when I get triggered that I must slowly release the control of my feelings to and allow them to pass without judgment. That's how you know you've won, is you're able to have a reaction about something and understand yourself and have empathy towards yourself first, which is like the oxygen mask. Once you do, you can then have empathy towards the other people. And uh, you know, I have empathy first and foremost to the people of color in the United States, to African-Americans. I have massive empathy of how traumatic it must feel to walk the streets out of this pandemic and feel afraid to trigger the police. You could die from jogging you know what I mean? Or, or, or angry, racist people who are scared. Um, and I also have empathy for the people who uh, are so in a dark place, in a place of us versus them, are so disconnected from themselves that they think that uh, they're, they're so threatened that they feel that murdering people is the answer. Uh, they, everybody needs healing apparently right now. And uh, I, instead of making, um, you know, getting really angry and adding to all of the the, the the fire that's going on, I'd love to be the voice of reason, the voice of healing. And the, the best way that I can do that is by first focusing on me so that I can show up. Uh, you know, I have growing pains too business is growing company is growing there's some growing pains going on within our team within myself the overwhelm you know i didn't expect it to be so busy i was like whoa what's going to happen and covid is you know it's a, it's, it's it's become super duper busy we have like three or four new clients each week Coming into our program, which is a good problem to have, and then now there's some growing pains, and so my responsibility first is to make sure that I'm showing up for each challenge that I'm facing with a regulated nervous system, with an open heart, and uh, curious and intentional for for uh, creation. I want to make sure, and this is the last, this is this was my last point that I've just remembered. There are two two forces within you that depending on your nervous system state, are driving the bus. You have a creative force and you have a destructive force. We all have that. We need to build and we need to destroy. Your cells are building and they're destroying at the same time. If anything's just building and not destroying, that's cancer. So we do have to have build and destroy. So you have a creative side and you have a destructive side to you. The question I'd like for you to ask when you're in a space is, am I coming from a creative place or am I coming from a destructive place? Write that one down, okay? Write that one down. Am I right now, i talking to myself, am I coming from a creative my creative place or am I coming from my destructive place? Because we have both and we have the power to choose. This whole conversation of becoming trigger proof doesn't mean trigger less, Robert, it means Paying attention and letting them breathe and becoming response able, so that I can choose my creative side rather than my destructive side. I do have a destructive side, and there's a great place to ex- exercise it. You know, my destructive side in kickboxing class. That's a great place to express it. Running and screaming. Heather was one of the things that I recommended that you do after our call because of your trauma that you went through with the little three-year-old girl who didn't have a voice because she was not able to, to yell and scream and she wanted to so that screaming is there to go and scream it out and sing, that is the proper expression of it. Your dark side needs proper expression and when you do it in healthy arenas, sports, exercise, dancing, whatever that is, <laughs> whatever kinky shit you like to do, that's up to you as long as you're doing it in a safe container, <laughs> Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, whatever that is, use that destructive part of you freely because it's, it's, it's a part of us in, in a right environment. And then when you do, you're able to fully express your creative side. I'm really trying to help you integrate both parts of yourself. Hopefully that was of benefit for you. Let me know what your greatest takeaway was of this call. Ryan, welcome. You're just jumping on. Rewind and see what came up. I'm grateful to have uh, had this conversation and shared what was in my heart today. And uh, send me a DM if you uh, have any questions about uh, joining us on Sunday or Monday, early Monday morning if you're in Aussie town. Peace out. See you at the next perfect time.